0: As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes.
1: On today's show of Android's Dungeon, Battles Across the Stars, starring our lovely co host. Worker placement. What is it? What is a Euro? Help! I'm lost! Stay tuned. to 93.3 CFRU, Broadcasting of Guelph, Ontario, University of Guelph campus, not to be confused with Queen's University. I am Jack. And I'm Joel. Joel, what have you been playing recently?
0: Oh, Jack, I, uh, I thought I'd try my hand at a tournament. This is exciting, folks. We don't hear about tournaments too often on the show. I'm not a magic player. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do work magic, Joel, but not with uh, collectible yeah. card games.
0: I can't afford it. To <laughs> <laughs> be honest. That heroin habit's pretty expensive. Right. Right. But uh, the boardroom was hosting a Star Realms tournament, and Star Realms is something that I have on my phone. It's a free, actually, mobile app, Star Realms. Uh, if you want to check it out, uh, you can only play against the easy computers, so, you know, if you want to. Uh, play the full game. You got uh, to cash out the five bucks. But
1: Five dollars, folks. That's what it takes. I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I paid the whole amount. <laughs>
0: anyway, I've had Star Realms for ages. and uh, so well, before, I, Don't go any further. Tell us what Star Realms is. Like Sell it yeah, to us. Right. So Star Realms is a deck builder. Uh, I love deck builders. It's one of my favorite genres. Basically what it is, you start with a very poor deck of small cards. Uh, very basic, not very good, not worth anything at all. Uh, you use those cards and you draw five and you buy better cards and you discard all the cards you played and everything you bought into a discard pile and then you draw five more cards. Well you only start the, every deck builder with ten cards. It's, it's two hands of five. Uh, once you get through those ten, what do you do because you're out of cards? You shuffle up your discard including everything you just purchased and you start again. So each time you go through that deck you're building it, and it gets better and better. You get to play what you bought until uh, you achieve some sort of goal. So let's uh, <laughs> see what's the goal in Star Realms. In Star Realms, the goal is kill your opponent because it's a one-on-one, <laughs> st- it's a one-on-one star battle game. Is it only two-player? Uh, so the base game is two-player. If you buy another copy of the base game and shuffle it up, and you can play four-player if you want. But sure. I don't know. What a do you think? Chaotic. What do you think about Magic as a four-player game?
1: Actually, you should that's a bad comparison because I love Magic with four players. Oh, it, I, mean, I think it uh, lends itself really nicely to different formats like that. I
0: think that's definitely a matter of preference though. I mean, <laughs> Magic as a four-player game is who do you want to target? You know, it'll be fun. Uh, but nobody really takes it seriously. Have you ever heard of a four-player Magic tournament? No, but I don't really know much about Magic <laughs> tournaments, so yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Anyway, Star Realms is, is essentially at a core a one-on-one game because you have 50 health and your opponent has 50 health. You buy cards that let you buy more cards or you buy cards that do damage. Uh, and you basically have to find this balance of, can I get good cards versus, uh, do I just want to buy the cards that will kill my opponent? And
1: to be clear though, like because we brought up Magic a couple times I think already, and one of the big differences here is that with Magic, you buy you can buy a deck, but the whole thing is you're trying to get more and more cards so you're buying boosters and you're buying singles and all this stuff with with the average deck builder for the most part you buy it and it's self-contained like you don't need to go out and keep fluffing these decks up and I don't know what it's like in Star Realms per se like how many expansions are there to the game that Because am <laughs> glad I'm you asked Jack <laughs> <laughs>
0: so this is my here's a little beef about Star <laughs> Realms <laughs> let me tell you about it um, so Star Realms started out as a game self-contained like you say and i i know a lot of deck builders that are like that they're self-contained so you buy it you have it, and that's it right so everybody has an equal opportunity well that didn't last too long <laughs> <laughs> the boosters came in they're actually boosters. hot and heavy after that yep oh my bunch. god sam so it- bought me some and i never used them but uh, there's also a whole new expansion based games a bunch so that's coming into the tournament this is Brings us nice latch into the term. I sit down at my first table, oh, and I open up the box, and I don't recognize a single oh, card. Man. <laughs> Something called Colony Wars, <laughs> essentially Star Realms too. <laughs> Never heard of it. I won, okay. So that's nice. You know, I just I know the colors. So I, you know, the colors are sort of um, alien race associations. There's four colors: red, yellow, green, and blue. You think of blue, green is like the Zerg. You rush with a ton of damage. Yellow is all about control. You draw cards. Your opponent discards cards. Red is a purge card, so you'll get rid of all those lousy starter cards that you you started with. And blue is this very slow heal and choke out your opponent hmm. and build up a lot of walls, like green. Like yeah,
1: right. So that's the thing. Like when you play these games, you start to start or you start to see these comparisons of Magic, because Magic it really is the, uh, the the, the granddaddy of these these deck builder games whether you believe it or not like Dominion I have a harder time seeing some comparisons between Magic but it, something like Star Realms what you're describing especially with this color delineation and it's like okay I have
0: control I have Aggro, I have like rush discard decks yeah and you're and you're purchasing into usually two of those colors because if you try to get just one of them then you know there's only five options on the lineup yeah uh, you always buy from five different cards and when you buy one it gets replaced by a deck, but other than that, that's all you can buy. So you pick two, like you say, that fits your playstyle.
1: Yeah, which is pretty cool I guess, but which ones work the best together? Can you theoretically do any two together or are some more uh, inclined to each other?
0: I think if you get red, you want to try to get blue because blue has a lot of outposts which are basically things that you need to destroy first and a lot of healing Mm -hmm. and red takes time to get going because red needs to get rid of all the bad cards and all of a sudden you only have a good deck and you run through. Hmm. Green can work on its own, yellow can work on its own.
1: So we have the tournament, you walk in, you win the first game blind more or less because you don't recognize any of these cards. And folks, I want to point out this tournament, hundreds of people from all over the world showed up in Guelph to (laughs) (laughs) to play in this. No, I'm just kidding. How many people were there? Six. Six people. Still, that's sad. All right, so you beat the first person, yeah. next one up, what happened?
0: So I didn't realize it was a uh, single elimination all the way through with just no best of three or anything. So I went through, went through, and then in the final game, um, yeah, lost. <laughs> <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. but uh, Was it close? Did you feel competitive or was it one of these like blowouts where you, you feel bad about it at the end? It was like at the very beginning, you go first, you only draw three. I needed three to buy anything on the lineup because it was all three or higher. Mm-hmm. I got two, mm. uh, so off to the start I was off to a bad start. My opponent got a whole bunch of bases out, like a wall of bases I couldn't take out. Finally, I cleared them all, balanced it down. We're both down to like seventeen. I get what I need to win in my hand, and I die. <laughs> right? it's just, it's
1: just, oh, so it was close
0: then. Yeah. It was it, it, he struck first; he beat you, or else
1: you were going to beat him. Yep. So that's pretty good. What was, yeah, it was the? Fun. And would you do it again? Immediately
0: had a rematch after. And oh, there you go. So you yeah. massacred him. So you're not too sour on Star Realms at this point. No, it's fine. Uh, there's also Hero Realms. I don't know if you heard. There's a new fantasy version of the same game. I think you mentioned it once. Yeah. So uh, my main concern about Star Realms is very prolific. It's just they keep pumping it out, and it's hard to imagine that it's actually balanced when you add everything in. Yeah, it's kind of tough when you when you see something that's kind of like Munchkin tier, where you look
1: at like how many different versions, and it scares away people. Like I've heard Netrunner is a great game, but when you look at it, all I see are these booster packs all over the place, and all yeah. these like maybe not boosters, but these standalone sets. And maybe if somebody said, "No, Jack, just ignore that, just buy this core set and enjoy it, and it just take it as what it is," I'd say, "Okay, good," but it just frightens me a little bit. Same like yeah. a game when you see a million DLCs and different little. Um, uh, expansions for you think, wh- where do I st- like when I say game, I mean computer game or video yeah. game?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, there was there used to be a clear delineation between uh, Deck Builder and IACCG mm-hmm. or collectible card game, yeah, and uh, that's gone now. It's kind of you don't really know uh, where you stand with one of these, right? Better cards could come out at any moment. So, how do you rank it compared to DC? Because I know DC is one of your favorite games of all time. Um, I like DC deck builder to be clear. S- so Star Realms is great as a one on one. The base game was great on as one on one combat. And I'd probably give it, uh, you know, seven out of ten DCs. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as far as the rest of it is concerned and all the expansion there and so stuff, I would give it like a two. Woo! Savage. That's <laughs> like our, the first <laughs> Androids Dungeon uh, brutalizing. I well, guess. They just threw in commander. They threw in uh, events, all these things that apparently just break the game. From what I've read. So okay, fair enough. So yeah, what about you, Jack? What have you been playing? It's uh, I actually
1: had a fairly um, eventful weekend as far as games went. So I learned a couple of things. Um, first off, Joel lent me his copy of Mister Jack and uh, my girlfriend and I sat down and learned it. Very quick, very easy to learn. Although I'll say this, the game says, set up as pictured in this. And you look at the manual and I'm looking at this tiny little square in the corner. (laughs) I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense. I can't really see this. You have to flip to the back, which folds out into this nice big page that has everything set up eh? in there. Very pretty, very pretty, but it's like, <laughs> it's like one of these moments, damn <laughs> It's like the Simpsons episode where they spend the whole time in the hallway oh, in yeah, Japan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's King of the Hill, I think. But, uh, oh, okay. But anyway, it's the exact same idea where you're just trying to look at some... Anyway, Mr. Jack, it's this uh, deduction game, sort of, where one player plays Jack the Ripper and the other player plays a bunch of investigators, and they're all trying to track down Jack in Whitechapel on this after his latest victim and you're trying to eliminate who could be who because every turn or every time you play, it's gonna be someone different uh, that you shuffle through the suspects and you have guys like Sherlock Holmes could be Jack the Ripper or um, (laughs) this harmless old codger who lights lamps could be Jack the Ripper. I don't know, I guess it's it's cute. It's not meant to be serious, but um, I have to say uh, I played it twice and both times Jack got found like (laughs) instantly. It was so (laughs) difficult.
0: I kept looking and thinking, "What am I doing something wrong?" And what is it? It's funny when I played with John. Uh, he was Jack, and he uh, he escaped both times. So I'm astounded. Like, did he just rush right to the exit with his character? No, because he played very slowly.
1: And I couldn't get it because it was so. It seems so simple to just like slow work your way through. Like, are you visible? Or are you invisible? Okay. Well, are you invisible? That eliminates these characters right here. And it's so tough to balance. Like. Because what happens is you have each player takes two actions every turn based on the investigator er, investigator spaces are up. So each investigator can move X spaces. And if you, at the end of everyone's actions, you you have this card, you flip over. And if Jack the Ripper is in uh, next to another character or standing next to a lamp, he's considered visible or she. Um, if not, invisible. And that based on that, you can kind of deduce, okay, well, this person is invisible and Jack's invisible, so it could be them. But the rest of these people... They, they they're innocent and for when we were playing it was so difficult to do maybe more than four or five people like at the start of the game just like eliminate
0: a million suspects phew,
1: next round another couple suspects and now you're down to two people and it's like oh man
0: well it's kind of yeah it's Sherlock's goal, goal or whoever's hunting him's goal to make it 50 50 yeah as close as possible and then it's your goal to try to yeah put the odds in your favor and so that oh well sorry everyone's visible so yeah exactly which, it's very clearly
1: you wasted this round. Yeah, I thought it was really neat. It's just I didn't get it, and I'd like to. I want to watch
0: two people who know what they're doing play it, so maybe I can yeah. kind of bounce off of it. I felt that way about Hive. I played against Maddie over the weekend, and mm-hmm. I got massacred like, so badly.
1: Hive's <laughs> an interesting game. I think if you play against somebody who really knows what they're doing, you'll get like it's totally, embarrassed. It's a
0: totally different game, and so much slower. Yeah, than what I u- was used to.
1: I've played it with my, uh, my girlfriend a fair bit, and. Uh, I think I do much better than she does, maybe just because I have more of a chess background, which is, Hive is not close to chess, but
0: it's got chess elements to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just so you guys know, Hive is what we would call an abstract strategy game.
1: Yeah, so do you want to, why don't you explain
0: what Hive looks like to, and it's, I recommend picking it up. It's a great, travels really nicely. It's very pretty. Hive is a series of hexagonal tiles with insects imprinted on them. (laughs) Uh, and, and arachnids each, yeah each insect and arachnid has its own uh, unique ability some are better than others and basically what you do is you plant them down on uh, any surface right and you just start to play the game uh, but the fourth one that you place has to be or between the first and fourth has to be a bee and that bee can only move one like a chest king and if it ever gets surrounded you lose
1: right? yep So you're trying to, because each, like Joel said, each piece does something different. Like the grasshopper can go in a, like basically move, hops all over in a straight line. So all of a sudden you can send grasshopper from the top of the board all the way down. And you're moving these hexes, but the main rule is you can never break the hive. So you can never move a piece so that you now have a bunch of hexes floating over here and a bunch of hexes floating over here. And certain pieces, like once your piece has been in, enclosed by two others, and you can't, like, you couldn't physically move it through, it's considered to be locked in, until now. And it's a really neat game. When you start to play it, it's, it's, you can see the gears turning in people's heads as, as strategies appear and whatnot. But
0: would you consider Mr. Jack abstract strategy?
1: No, it's. I don't mean, think it's
0: abstract. Thematic.
1: <laughs> thematic strategy. Again, yeah. it, it's a neat game, and going it's hexes again too. Interesting. Um it's probably one of my favorite designers too, who's d- who did uh Cyclades, which is my all time favorite game. But uh yeah. Mr. Jack, something else. It's like I didn't hate it. I just didn't mm. understand it and I think it just both of us kind of left feeling kind of mystified by what we were supposed to be doing. But right. I'd be more than happy to play the game. Um So you played as each other and yeah. the detectives
0: were detectives far just and away it better. Just destroyed, mm-hmm. just destroyed. And again, maybe I was doing something wrong. But I think also you need to, as Jack, threaten to leave. With anything you can, yeah, that's because a good that point. really puts them on a panic, where instead of trying to focus on deduction and everything, yeah, yeah. they're trying to maneuver things. So like, oh, well, maybe I can
1: keep. Them and from and that out. I thought about that as we were playing through the second game. I was thinking about how you could really start to psych people out by just like rushing a player. But the problem is, is like I said at the beginning, so many people were eliminated from the innocent or or the guilty pool. That's like, Jack, why are you sending that innocent guy over to the edge? Yeah. You're not fooling <laughs> anyone. Yeah, that's too bad. So anyway, Mr. Jack, um, what do you give it? I will give it. Uh, I will give it six um, screams in the night out of 10 because <laughs> I, I don't understand it,
0: and that's more than one that change. Before we get off the subject, I just want to mention that uh, Jonathan's girlfriend will not play Mr. Jack on moral grounds. Uh-huh. She disagrees with the glorification of Jack the Ripper.
1: It's weird. I, I don't think I walked away from it, considering I was. <laughs> it was glorifying murder. Or <laughs> hey, abuse, maybe so. I should. Uh... Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just in board games, cause violence. It's. Uh, you know, it, it's within your. Obviously, it's within everyone's right to engage in any sort of media that they they wish to participate in. But it just seems odd, personally, on my level, to uh, to walk away from Mr. Jack, thinking that it's somehow like glorifying any sort of. It, it's an abstract. Not abstract, thematic. It could, yeah, it could be, any,
0: could be any villain. You, just you could have said somebody robbed say, a store. Catch the guy. Yeah,
1: yeah and just catch a guy. And yep. It's obviously Jack the Ripper, one of the most famous unsolved murder mysteries of of all time. And uh, and it's also kind of a, a spooky setting with all these famous uh, detectives and people from the era. So to each their own, but it's... <laughs> I, I just couldn't... I can't imagine that, to be honest. But anyway, so that was Mr. Jack. The second thing we played... Going back even further in time, a game called Lancaster, and Lancaster is a something interesting where you each player takes on the role of a noble family during uh, the the King of England's uh, this young King of England's rise to power, and he's do decided. to
0: Cooked, smoked, barbecue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a small shout out to one of the best barbecue places. Whoa, you can, uh, and you're starting. he's starting fights with France, and there's all these castles all over England, and it's a worker placement with knights, but knights of different tiers. And when you send a knight into a certain space, each castle gives you a different ability or different reward, and you have your own home board as well that you're improving upon. And you keep going until everyone's out of knights, and you can decide to make your knight stronger up to level four and so on. It's it's difficult to explain, but it was a very interesting game, and it went very quickly. And th- there's a lot of things going on. You've got worker placement, which we'll talk about later on in the show in terms of a genre. And you also had this... I love social elements of the game, because there are these laws that come up every round, and you have parliament. Basically, the amount of nobles you have or you've acquired um, and each law, everyone gets a vote on it. So everyone does this thing, kind of like in Twilight Imperium, kind of like Twilight Imperium, where, or um, Resistance, or some of these things, where you have this, you have this uh, a check mark and a, an X, and then you have a bunch of these cubes, and you secretly decide how many cubes you want to put in your hand, and you have your check mark, and then everyone votes, and you open up your hand, and you have all these cubes and these check marks, and you add them all up, and whoever has the most votes, the law goes through, and the thing is, it replaces a previous law too. So if there was stuff mm-hmm. in there that somebody else like. It's gone. You've swapped with something you're, you're happy with. But it's more of this, I really love the idea of just where people are yelling at each other and trying to buy votes. So you can't really buy any. You can't exchange. Like, I'll give you some gold in exchange for this. It doesn't work like that. But it's just a neat little element on top of this game. And it's very pretty as well. So uh, Lancaster was, I enjoyed it. So I'll, I'll give it an uh, eight um, drunken Englishmen sailing across the channel to <laughs> invade France <laughs> out, of, out of ten. Nice, and uh, and then I'll just say one last thing. I've been playing the new Prey computer game, uh, well, video game, whatever. Which was, do you ever play the original? Came out after Doom Three, so what, this we're talking about. What year was this? Probably two thousand four, two thousand five, around there. And it was a really neat game about this uh, guy named Tommy, who's this Native American kid who, who's just in his bar trying to convince his girlfriend to leave the reservation and go off and start their own life somewhere else when all of a sudden, uh, aliens attack. <laughs>
0: oh, no. <laughs> and
1: they kidnap everyone. It's all over the world. And it finds out that uh, he's he's the only one who can save the world. And what Prey did, interestingly, was it bent. It really did something cool with video games in that the imagination was there. So you're running up walls and you're jumping through... Portals before Portal. Did you ever play Portal? Oh, yeah. yeah. So like I've... Prey did it first because you would you have these sections and you're creating these bubbles and moving through here and coming out somewhere else. And you're throwing objects through them kind of not nearly as puzzly as Portal was, but s- the similar idea. And really kind of it had a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor and was kind of surprisingly spooky at times as well. But the new one came out and a lot of people were worried because... Uh, There was originally going to be a Prey sequel years ago, but then Bethesda got a hold of it and they strangled it in the crib because they didn't like the way it looked. And then they put it out, this new one, and it's not bad. It's... uh, Do you ever play System Shock 2 or System Shock? Any of those games? Nope. Sci-fi horror RPGs. This one does it pretty well. You're on board this space station and what they've got going on well is they've got this cool aesthetic where... It's kind of like art deco futurism, where it's like lots of wood and gold and kind of chrome paneling and stuff. And some things just don't match up as far as you think of like year 2065 or 2093 or wherever it is. But the main monsters are the things called the, the Typhon and they're mimics. So you go through these levels and you're kind of looking all around because maybe that coffee cup there which is kind of making a weird noise is going to poof, ah! <laughs> and this little like weird <laughs> crab thing is going to come sprawling all over the place and
0: oh so they can be any size be
1: any and... size like some of them the advanced ones can be weird complex objects and there's some that are like human they call them phantoms and they're kind of lurking around and some shoot electricity some shoot fire whatever and there's some that control the minds of the survivors and What's kind of cool too is that as you go on, I I don't know if it's whether pre-programmed in the game or whether it's if somebody has enough um, these upgrades in their system, which are derived from the monsters, but you get pursued by this thing called the nightmare, which is this giant one that you can't beat and you basically have to hide from it for two and a half minutes or else if it finds you it's going to destroy you in a second. So kind of like the Nemesis in Resident Evil 3. Play that one. <laughs> is
0: this like uh, the Hollow Man, where it just kind of follows you? The Slenderman. <laughs> Slenderman. Yeah.
1: Not quite. The, the Slender
0: Man's kind of spooky and subtle. This thing is just like this just giant ball of something is, making noises. Is it like uh, kind of a wall that forces you to progress through the game? Not or is quite. It just, okay, it's around and so it's, I do. Some yeah, hiding. that's it.
1: It's like I'll admit that it's it's kind of half baked in the sense it doesn't pursue you aggressively enough. Like if you, it's pretty easy to hide for just like look at your watch for two minutes and go. All right, it's gone now. Versus something that's like, it's actively moving through the the level. Kind of maybe if they gave it just like a a blip of the AI, where it's like just knows your location every fifteen seconds. So you really got to move around a bit. But it's just cool. Just in the game, I, I recommend giving it a try if uh, you're interested in that sort of stuff. But those those things have been occupying my life lately. Ray,
0: 2017. 2017. It's uh, it's not a bad game. Not bad nice. at
1: all. Gets Jack Run's stamp of approval. Stamp so far. And, like, it's been a while since a game has held me. A computer game, at least, has held me for a while. So that says something. All right. So why don't we take a quick break. Uh, We're going to listen to a bit of music, and then we're going to come back and talk about worker placements and Euros. So stay tuned. Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM broadcasting out of <clears throat> University of Guelph, which is under construction. What you just heard was The Pink Room Extended Edition by Angela Badalamenti and David Lynch, which is I chose because A, it's an incredible track from uh, the unfairly maligned Fire Walk With Me film. And also because uh, in case you didn't hear from the average person, Twin Peaks restarted as a series the other day, uh, yesterday actually, but depending on what time you hear this, it won't be yesterday. So (laughs) it could be five days ago, who knows? Um, I was a huge fan of the series when it came out, not when it came out, but when I got to see it for the first time, probably in first year university and watched through it all. And I've just been waiting, just waiting for it to
0: come back and it is back and I think Joel did you ever see any of it did you ever watch any not a uh, I haven't even seen an image of it I can't I have, n- I have no idea what Twin Peaks is it's it was it's very difficult to disassemble it's on
1: one hand it's um, it's a satire of primetime soap operas on the other hand it's a uh, idiosyncra idiosyncratic David Lynch uh, sort of police procedural on the other hand it's a horror film it's sometimes it's absurd as comedy it's really good at least mm-hmm. for the first season then the second season it, it it's remarkable the quality dive that happens because the rumor has it that ABC which is where when the show originally aired told David Lynch you have to solve the mystery of who killed Laura yeah. Palmer and Laura, uh, David Lynch didn't want to solve the mystery which was a perfect Lynch thing to create this giant who done it but never answer the question <laughs> so he was really upset about that according to uh, some sources yeah But the the new one that came out, it's on Showtime, and it is, I have to say, without any spoilers, I watched the first two episodes. um, Dark. Holy smokes. (laughs) It is very grim, actually terrifying. Like, there's some legit industrial Lynch horror in, like, I was feeling nervous watching one scene, which is saying something. He's just, he's not been topped for building dread. Have you seen Mulholland Drive or any, do you remember the scene with Mulholland Drive when, the guy, it's it's almost completely separate from the movie, but he's in the diner talking to and telling about his dream about, <laughs> and they go behind the diner, and there's just the one of the the greatest subtle spook outs of all time, I think. And
0: uh, I'm hazy on it, but sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
1: uh, Twin Peaks up. give it a shot, and uh, it's it's something else. You, if you're watch walking in expecting whimsical uh, comedy, <laughs> old friend. <laughs>
0: All right. So, well, you know, uh, Attack on Titan also uh, resumed recently. Oh
1: shit! Yeah. Uh, Attack on Titan. So
0: four or five episodes out so far.
1: And is it? What is the pacing like? Out of curiosity. Because we had a discussion about it's how about the show starts off the first. Quick, season.
0: Yeah. So far, so good.
1: Are they answering any questions, or is there still tons of uh, just?
0: We. I, feel, I feel like uh, every episode, I just have a lot more questions. <laughs> a lot of things have been revealed. <laughs> Uh, watch it, I won't say anything, but... Uh, For those who don't know, Attack on Titan <laughs> is this
1: very popular anime about this. No, it, catharsis. no ca- Yeah, that's right. It takes place in this, uh, I guess, semi-medieval society surrounded by these giant walls. The city is surrounded by these different walls because these giant monsters called titans, which look like grinning naked humans that are enormous, just want to come and eat them, and it's horrifying. <laughs> They're really, really They're freaky. They're always just super happy. They're always just super happy. I, I, when I was watching, I kept looking for metaphors and thinking about, what, what are, is there a secret <laughs> behind this? Is there something? I don't know. It could just be weird Japanese well,
0: stuff. I, I woke up in the morning, and a friend of mine had mentioned that there was the season had resumed, and then he posted, like, four... Hours later, it's all an illusion. And I was like, oh, did he just <laughs> spoil Attack and of... He's just messing with us. Oh, I see. I thought he was playing a joke about,
1: oh, no, it wasn't even up anyway. I tricked you. Because for a long time, it felt like there was a delay in the seasons. But anyway, Attack and Titan and Twin Peaks. What a time to be alive. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Broadchurch <laughs> has a third season. How did that happen?
1: How did it get a second season? Like, you can <laughs> stretch it was a bit. a story bit. for a single a s- season. <laughs> a single contained murder mystery. Again, Broadchurch couldn't exist without Twin Peaks. Small town. Uh, investigator coming in who's very strange and has his own problems, everyone's like the difference between noir and like what Lynch did for noir, which let people really kind of play around with the genre and expectations, but I could go on for a long time about Twin Peaks <laughs> and the rest of his work, but so moving on back to um, the subject of the show or the, uh, the broad theme of the show, gaming, euros, worker placements,
0: Joel, what is a Euro game in your, in your opinion? I love Euro games, and I love playing every game like a Euro. I think I talked about this briefly, uh, maybe not on the show, but I think I talked to you about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to play every game like a Euro, and what a Euro is that uh, sets it apart from American trash, if you want to call it that. <laughs> it's such a, a- derogatory sound. term, but it's accepted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people call them Euro trash as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, is that you don't um, you're basically uh, playing by yourself with other people? I guess you could call it, but basically. Um, there's less interaction with others, and you're building towards your own goals instead of focusing on um, interfering with direct your conflict. Opponents. That's usually the thing that's missing
1: in euros. Direct the ability to uh, invade someone else's vineyard and <laughs> walk <laughs> off with their grapes, even though there is a card. Unless you take money from somebody, but
0: <laughs> give some contraband tours.
1: Contraband? T- oh man, that'd be kind of funny. Can you imagine? Hold on. Here's just an idea. This is it. Don't you steal our idea. give away their wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a, a, a drug-fueled version of viticulture where you're growing weed or you're growing <laughs> cocaine or something like this. I think it's got legs. It could be the dope wars of don't steal our idea, okay?
0: Ah. <laughs>
1: anyway, so you're no, out. No direct conflict and you can work towards your own goals. But Joel, how am I supposed to stop you if I can't? directly
0: attack you i'm glad you asked um you know where i want to go you want to you know that i want that six wood uh on spot two in agricola so you're gonna go there and take it before i can and then i can't go on the same spot scum Scum. (laughs) so yeah the euro
1: you can't you can't necessarily just take the wood from joel but you can take the wood from Joel by by moving your person there first. It's usually, and this gets into what we're talking about, worker placement. That Most euros are defined as being, uh, the vast majority of them I'd say are worker placements and that you have a set amount of workers. They're usually meeples or maybe they're cubes or disks or something like that to indicate that in your color. And you have a board with a bunch of delineated spaces that correspond to different actions. So let's take the granddaddy of them all. Um, Let's say Agricola, which is a game all about uh, trying to survive and failing and
0: your family and yourself starve <laughs> to death. You're sad. It's farming game. Yeah. Agricola is a game where whoever has the nicest farm at the end of the game wins. Um, if you have a fantastic farm you did really well, you could get 60 points. That's kind of the golden standard. I don't think i've ever come close i think maybe 43 46 in a two-player game where you have lots of opportunity to go everywhere but in a four-player game uh you probably have intention to go pick up some reed or plow a field sow some crops (laughs) all these options you have but let's find out how many (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those <laughs> options are left. By the time your turn
1: comes around. So the way the game works is that, like Joel was saying before, is that everyone has their own farm, and that's your property. Whatever happens there, that's on you. In the center is this sort of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, an action board or a selection where each there are a bunch of different spots, and they're I believe they're semi randomly populated by uh, cards you draw from the deck that are in those spots.
0: Not Agricola.
1: Not great. I'm thinking of Caverna for yeah. those things. but um, So there's some static spots and you move your cube, or not cube, your disc, which represents family members, and you put them on that spot and whatever happens there, when you put that cube down, you take whatever it says or do whatever action it is. And you go through until everyone's put all their workers down and then you go from there. But the thing that makes Agricola very difficult is that not just that there are tons of things to do and not many people to go around but you've also got to feed your family every...
0: How many rounds is it? Um, So you start with four turns before you have to feed, Mm -hmm. and then you go to three, and then it's two, 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 one. Yeah.
1: And for every person you've got out there, it takes uh, a significant amount of resources. The problem is that those resources you've been acquiring you want to use them for other stuff too. So you end up in this position where it's like, oh, I need these points at the end of the game to, or I need these these this wheat to turn into something here for these points, but my family's going to starve if I don't do that, and if they starve, what do you get, like -5 -3 negative five or?
0: Negative three for every food you're short. For every food. Which is could be a lot, and remember the, the object, you know, if you're having a really good game at 42, and minus three is a huge difference. Absolutely. Especially if you're
1: actually playing to win, too. You don't want negative points. And all the empty spaces on your board are worth negative points in your field, right?
0: If you're begging, you, you're Yeah, use, yeah.
1: You're already in trouble. Essentially. And um, so Agricola is considered, I, I think we were talking about this before, but we would call it like the, the medium to heavy side of worker placement euros. It's, every, it's considered to be a gold standard of sorts, but it's also not for the average bear. If you were to throw, I'm just trying to think, if I threw my parents at Agricola, it'd be a very sad experience yeah. for everyone involved.
0: And that's the thing. That's probably why they have the family version in Agricola, right? There's there's the family friendly, easy version where all you do is place your guys on the board and do what it says. But then there's also cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And so you can go get a job where you place a thing and then you flip over a card and now you have that job. Now you get some kind of perk, but mm-hmm. you've lost a turn by doing exactly. it. Exactly. So is it worth it in the end? Well, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Uh, there's minor improvements. There's seven different minor improvements you get, and you have a handful of them. You don't have to do any of them, but yeah, you should do some. <laughs> <It's> Absolutely, <laughs> it and gets it gets more and more complicated. And the
1: the guy who designed Agricola, Uwe Rosenberg, uh, brilliant designer. Agricola is usually considered to be his like the greatest game he's ever made. Um, I'm I didn't start with Agricola, so I'm not as strong on it. I start with the Caverna, and that one's my baby, which is the same, very similar. If you put Agricola and Caverna next to each other, you could argue Caverna is Agricola two but you're doing a very similar thing. You got a board, you have discs, but you're playing with uh, dwarves. So you got this semi fantasy element and um, it it doesn't have as wide of randomness, I'd say as Agricola in the sense of Agricola has these decks of cards for the jobs. Whereas Caverna, you just have set, it's all static as far as that uh, is concerned. And the only randomness comes from which, what time of the year certain cards will come up because they're always going to be there. It's just you don't know when.
0: And also, like if there's a if there's a harvest
1: that year, if not, there's always going to be the set amount, but you just don't know if it's going to be that year or not. But I thought I find it to be a lot more relaxing than agricola. It's not as nasty. And, it's also
0: very easy to feed your family, right? Yes, it's it's a lot easier. There's
1: way mo- you can feed them with rocks if you get the <laughs> the the one house, which is kind of funny. It's like it's that element of uh, humor that you see there. Um, but if I had to pick my favorite Rosenberg uh, worker placement, I think at this point it would have to be feast for Odin and because it's beautiful game. It's just this this all the things that Rosenberg has kind of been working toward for a while just crammed into one gigantic box, and you you've you've gone from dwarves to Vikings, and what's you're you've still got a bunch of Vikings that you're putting on a static board and doing the actions. But what's cool is that there are four layers to everything. So you can put one Viking down in one spot and get like an okay result. You can put two down, get something better, three down, even better, four. Oh my God, it's crazy, but you only have so many Vikings. And you've got this puzzle board where you're doing like patchwork style. You're trying to cover up spaces (laughs) in such a way to get benefits. And you're trying to get rid of
0: the negatives. So there you got the, it's all there and it's so pretty. And that seems like a lot, but then there's also you can get Greenland. Yeah, you can <laughs> you expand. get other and, islands. And get more boards to put stuff on. Or you can get a bunch of tiny, yeah. like you can have settlements. Was, was Feast for Odin Game of the Year 2015?
1: No. No.
0: I It, it would have been
1: 2016, I think. And it, it, the problem with Feast for Odin, I think, is that it had a very limited print run in the sense that you're just seeing, like, a few random copies starting to show back up in some shops. And it, it, what was out there was very great buzz, but it just wasn't. It wasn't Scythe buzz for <laughs> for that sort of um, that praise. So, and it's also not the most accessible. Not too.
0: accessible. I was gonna say, yeah,
1: yeah. So with Scythe, for example, going back to this, is you look at this and you could sell it to anyone. You see Max, and people have already sold themselves, and it's gorgeous. And Fusron's very pretty too. But you start to look at it, and you've got these trays with all these things in there, and you're tr- you're trying to figure out. Oh, I flip these over, and there's tons of stuff to read. It is. Once you know what you're doing, it is very simple and very easy to understand. Yeah. But again, it's another, like, where would you rank it as far as accessibility goes, Joel? Do you think it's more or less than Agricola?
0: I think that if you don't know somebody who knows how to play Feast for Odin, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've got somebody like Jack in your life. Uh, <laughs>
1: who screws up rules he every brings time. brings into his cabin. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, we won't talk about the other things, but... Shut <laughs> 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 up, Joel. It is great. But then yeah. there was the sport
1: game. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was the highlight. That was the cherry on top. Feast Road is... I love it. absolutely love it. But let's... So we've given two examples of heavy. We'll, say, we'll call them heavy. What would you say medium? We've already mentioned one. I put Scythe in a medium worker placement because it's it's a fake worker placement game, but it's there.
0: So I have to introduce this one with a bit of a story. There's a a game shop, which is it's like a game cafe, but it, they don't charge any money. Um, there's a game shop back at home with about twenty tables. Where's home, Joel? Uh, back in Ladner, BC. BC. And it's called uh, Dave's Pop Culture. Shameless plug for my friend. Who, nobody in Guelph will ever go shop there. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Tourism spikes for uh, some reason. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this place is incredible. And one of the things that they have is uh, there's a guy named Mustache Dave. Not Dave the owner, <laughs> but the other Dave with Do the Mustache. Do not
1: confuse the Mustache Dave hates being confused. Works over
0: at the hardware shop over here. <laughs> and he takes lunch at the exact same time every day, maybe 11.55. yeah. yeah. And he'll walk over, and the whole game will be set up of Lords of Waterdeep. Lords of Waterdeep. is a very accessible worker placement. And anybody who shows up at 12 p.m. on any day of the week can play Lords of Waterdeep <laughs> with Mustache, Dave, and Dave, the owner. And it's always <laughs> five. I mean, there's space for five to seven if you pull out the expansions. Yeah, Always five people, always different people. It's so, fantastic. So Lords of Waterdeep... Set us up for what? Like, what?
1: It is a worker placement game. How many workers do you get, Joel?
0: Oh well, round five, <laughs> you get a few more. Uh, depends on how many players there are. If you are playing with three or less players, you start with three workers, and then on round five, the most wonderful round of the game, you get an extra worker. So the first half of the game you start with less, and then you get a, one more. And uh, it's a Dungeons and Dragon city. I don't know much about Waterdeep, uh, but I know it's from Dungeons and Dragons. It was developed by Wizards of the Coast, and it is brilliant. It's just a really well balanced uh, game where you'll go into the city and pick up um, people to work for you, and then you'll use those guys to go on quests. And going on the quest is very simple. You just, if you have the stuff, you hand it in. You did the quest. It is a cube pusher in the most literal sense, and the, the theme
1: is: if you you like Dungeon Dragons, great, good for you. If you don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's really, it is. They're just buildings, and you, it's like: do you have three orange cubes? Do you have five white cubes? Do you have two purple cubes? Congratulations! Move your point tracker up here. Take gold. It, it's it's very streamlined. It is a very accessible, simple worker placement game.
0: Who do you think came up with this? Uh, point track, like, what do you think was the first game to have it around where the edge? You had a square path all the way around your game mm-hmm. with zero to hundred, and you can just walk around it with a piece. That is a
1: great question, Joel. We should look into that. <laughs> like, who started it? It's a great, it's a great idea. Uh, you notice it when it's not there, and that's for sure.
0: I think about Ticket to Ride. I think is the first. That's the that first. I saw. That's
1: what I went to yeah. first in my head.
0: But so Waterdeep, you was, would you call that a medium? I'd say it's a light. I think it's, I think it's on, on the shelf as a heavy game in game cafes. I wouldn't call it that. I'd, I'd say it's light, but you know, it's to each each their, own. their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so what? Now here's something else. Istanbul. We talked about this on our first show, I think, or maybe our second show. Um, would you call it a worker placement game?
0: I think it's a worker placement, but your workers are already on the board, so it's mm-hmm. a bit of a worker management. Um, worker placement where you have limited choices.
1: Right. And I think, and this bugs me, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but the, the Colonists, as well is a worker placement game in the sense that you have this guy, but you have limited movements per se. So you've, in a sense, you've got as many workers as you've got that for that turn, but if you're not it's kind of like an arbitrary definition because if you're just putting, what's the difference between putting a guy down versus moving a single piece to X location and you can't go back there again? And yeah. I don't know. It's you're still placing it, it's just not from a pool. Exactly. Pooled worker placements or whatnot. So simple, sort of, maybe not. But um, so... The other one I think, and this one came up on the board game geek list too, is that Stone Age is a very simple, accessible. It'll, it'll alienate a lot of people because it's so simple, and there is dice chucking involved. So there's this element of failure. Which going back to what we were talking about for Euros, Euros eliminate. They don't like dice because it's it kind of is this pointless. Um, it's a merit trash in the sense that you could you could do something and then just not be able to do it because of random dumb luck. And well, like it Ciclid- doesn't feel like
0: Cyclades when you swing in with three guys against one guy. So
1: t- statistically unlikely.
0: So <laughs> unlikely. that stinks. Um, you know when we played Stone Age, I felt like uh, it wasn't very well received in our group, but I had I had a ton of fun.
1: i I don't mind it. and to be honest, i I would in- use it to introduce to some people. like get them it I think it's a good entry level game in that it's not heavy. Yeah. It's it's got all the elements of the other stuff. You can you buy you can buy buildings with these resources at the bottom that are worth lots of points at the end. You have all this other stuff. You have to feed your people and you've got a limited amount of workers to go around the board. It's it's all there, but it's just it's so simplified and diluted, I think, that maybe it doesn't appeal to
0: some, but I don't think any I don't think any game out there is too simple. You think about a game like Koo where it's just painfully simple, but it's still tons of fun right uh, and accessible as well i think maybe harry potter deck builder was a little too simple but <laughs> was it actually uh, simple it's, it's for children so you know. <laughs> you know was it did you feel it was for children is, is sorry too simple sorry, even sorry there's i haven't played
1: in a while but if if i recall like Is there any choice or just pop it and that's
0: like what you can do? you choose which one of your guys moves.
1: Right. So there's still some choices there and some strategies in in some sense, I suppose. I think the only game that's too simple is Candyland, Candyland. which is just
0: nihilism. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. For those of you who don't know, uh, Candyland is a game where you move by revealing the top card of the deck and doing what it tells you, which means that the game is already determined by the time you finish shuffling the deck before the game begins.
1: And it's boring as heck. And it's for children in case the title Candyland didn't (laughs) sell it to you. Isn't that Katy Katy Perry?
0: Katy Perry? Well, I'm revealing I know too much, but uh, it's too late now. I can't go back. (laughs) (laughs) In the song, California Girls, uh, she is wandering through Candyland.
1: Oh, is that the theme? I knew there was some sort of cotton candy sort of uh, aesthetic to it and clouds, but I didn't know it was Candyland.
0: Snoop Dogg losing Candyland? <laughs> yeah, he's there too. He, I think he got sued because he said uh, a Beatles lyric. You can get sued for just saying a Beatles These lyric? These are the girls I like the most or something like That's that. That's enough to get sued? Yeah, I guess so. That's nuts. Um,
1: all right, so let's, let's, put, let's make this even simpler. Joel, if you had to, I think I already know your answer. If, you were, if somebody wants to get into gaming and they want a worker placement game, um, all right, pick two. Which two would you recommend they pick up?
0: Uh, viticulture and Waterdeep. Istanbul, close third.
1: We didn't even talk about Viticulture, but yeah, Viticulture. If I had to say it, I would say Viticulture for sure. And um, like, an, do they want to get started with it? Oh, it's tricky.
0: You could dive right into Agricola. Just go for it. Agricola? Agricola?
1: I think Agricola is a technical way to say it, but technical like the proper way whatever I don't know I, my heart wants to say go Feast for Odin just go Feast. go right to it but it's just I think it, if you it's one of these things like when you're trying to teach a game to somebody or you want to get them into something you may have a favorite game that you really want to play with them but you don't dump it on them right away because you'll scare them away That's right. they'll never ask you to play it
0: well here's the thing about Feast for Odin that makes it great um, what was our main criticism at the beginning of Clash of Cultures nothing is different that's right. You are on a set path. And it's essentially the same with some of these worker placements, especially viticulture. When I think <laughs> about what field, I want to start, you need to sow a field. You need to get a grain. You need to get the resources to expand your house. Yeah. The order is weird but or can be different, but that's basically what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Feast for Odin, two times we've played, I play completely differently and it still works out. Yeah. So it and it gets into this again variety
1: like the the issues with video culture start to become apparent when you play it enough where it seems like there's a set not strategy but there are a couple of things you got to do. There's or some right way. There's a right way you know. to do things, um, and I think my problem with Scythe, going back to that, is I'm starting to see that there are some right ways to do things, and um, some ways are better than others, but. Istanbul I'm starting to think the same thing to be honest too that there are some right ways to start stuff but in the same sense like you can balance and you can bounce off other players but um, I don't know I'd probably Waterdeep is a pretty good choice for me I just I'm not it's not my favorite game the theme is just so I really don't care about Dungeons and Dragons in this setting whatsoever (laughs) I want to play Joel's Dungeons and Dragons
0: oh yeah what could be good
1: yeah. So, I don't know. It, I'm with you. I'll say Waterdeep and Vidiculture and then you can go up. And if you enjoy these types of games, move on up to some bigger stuff, I think. Uh, and
0: if either of those aren't your thing, Istanbul is, is a great alternative.
1: Universally loved. Everyone likes Istanbul. I don't think I've anyone ever
0: seen anyone pick it up and just not like it or just not get can it. Can you think of a worker placement that's even simpler? Like, are we missing something that's just really, really simple and you place workers and you do it? I don't know. Stone Age is the only one I can think of, but yeah. even that's just—I
1: I can't. No. Yeah. Um, there is Agricola, um, All Creatures Great and Small, which is the yeah. two-player version of it, and I think it's a more streamlined version of the game, and it's a lot simpler, but it's still difficult. Although I don't know if it's—I think it's out of print at the moment, unfortunately. So I may have just been mean and <laughs> got people looking I for like something. I kind
0: of ran out of things for my workers to do in that game.
1: In all creatures? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Joel, I just want to point something out here. When it comes to worker placement games, one of Joel's favorite things in the world to do is get every single worker. (laughs) (laughs) You you see, just like this factory of extra, and it's a great strategy because typically in a worker placement game, every person you get, as far as workers go, gives you one extra turn, one extra action. I have to say, in Vidiculture, there are a couple times when I've maxed out on guys. And I've just been kind of twiddling my thumbs because I had too many people and I didn't... That was my fault mostly for not using enough in the first season or not budgeting them in the second properly, but... They're That's f- great.
0: I'd like to see that in more future games because you're right, it's, it's, having more men is very powerful. Uh, I, and if, if it becomes like a situation like NVIDIA culture, I agree. Having five men is, is key. Having six men, it's, it's almost too many. And there is a sweet spot. And I think the the issue with six
1: men in Viticulture, which is the reason why you want to have it, is that there are a lot of visitor cards that reward you for having if you have all your guys out. But at the same time, there are a lot of visitor cards that are like train a guy for $2 or get things for it. I think there it's more balanced around getting more guys than it is for rewarding you. But again, Viticulture, we're talking about it still. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a great game. And we still have to play Tuscany more too, just yeah. to get a feel for it, see if it balances things out or makes things even better. But... It's a great game. So, going through the list again for people who are listening and possibly writing down shopping list things uh, Stone Age, Lords of Waterdeep, Istanbul, maybe. Viticulture, yes. Agricola, Feast for Odin. Um, I have Lahav. It's not my favorite, but it's still interesting. I think it's almost just as difficult as Agricola, to be Don't honest. Don't forget
0: Agricola Jr.
1: Agricola Jr. Is that actually what's called? Caverna. Caverna. <laughs> Just look up the name Rosenberg. (laughs) Look them up. Stefan Feld, I think, has some worker placement games, too. Um, There are a lot. There are a lot out there. Find the one you like and just kind of branch out and see which things you like with which things you don't. Because some of them are nice, some of them are mean, and some of them are just kind of bland. There's a lot of worker placements out there. So you don't need to buy them all. Just give them all a shot, though. So. Oh, geez.
0: Oh, it's ending.
1: That. That lovely little drum riff and sexy bass guitar. Yeah.
0: I'm going to have to say goodbye for a bit. I'll be gone for about a month. So
1: this is potentially the last time you'll hear Joel for a bit, assuming nothing terrible happens to him in uh, Europe. So I'll be researching the Euros. He's going to be in the land of Euros. So with that in mind, thank you for listening. I was Jack. And I was Joel. Have a great day.